Welcome, everybody, to the PCICS News Talk edition of the podcast. This is a new format that we're going to release on a fairly regular basis, where we talk about all the latest news in pediatric cardiac critical care, as well as any recent articles that are very impactful or anything else that's going on with the society. Um, Our regular hosts are myself, David Warhol. I'm a cardiac intensivist at Rady Children's Hospital in UC San Diego. And then we have Sadie Rodriguez. Hi, I'm Sadie. I'm another pediatric cardiac intensivist at Children's Hospital of Atlanta. And our third regular host is Jill Zender. Hi, I'm Jill Zender. I'm a nurse practitioner in the cardiac ICU at Texas Children's. And we are very happy and lucky to have with us this week two guests who are just done with probably a huge marathon because they basically put together the entire virtual meeting with, you know, very little notice because of the pandemic. So we have Lindsay Justice. Hi, everyone. I'm Lindsay Justice. I'm the lead APP in the cardiac ICU at Cincinnati Children's. And Nikhil Chanani. Hey, everybody. I'm Nikhil Chanani. I'm one of the cardiac ICU attendings at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining us. So the first thing that we have to just get off the table is that some of the stuff that we're going to talk about probably is off-label, um, as is most most stuff in pediatrics. Um, and everything that we say are our opinions only and are not necessarily representative of the views of the PCICS. So uh, let's just go ahead and kick it off. Nikhil and Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us. Can you guys talk to us a little bit about what happened when you found out the meeting was going to be virtual? <laughs> uh, a little panic, I think. Uh, actually, a lot of panic. A lot of panic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, you know, part of the challenge was we didn't actually know what the format was going to be. We had this long period of limbo where, you know, we had, with, between COVID, PCICS, IMI, and then this negotiation with the hotel in Miami, we just weren't sure what the format was going to be. And I think that was probably as frustrating or as challenging as anything else, was not knowing what to plan for. Yeah. And keeping in mind, too, uh, the original in-person meeting was already completely planned, and all the speakers had been notified and invited. That timeline is usually finished about uh, 12-ish months before the meeting. And so, like Nikhil said, we were then trying to keep our options open for, because, of course, all of us want to travel to Miami, if at all possible. And so we were trying to keep our options open for a hybrid format where we'd offer some virtual and some in-person and just not really knowing until later in the game uh, what we were going to end up with. You know, Lindsay brings up a good point. There was actually a fair amount of denial actually on our part as well. (laughs) I don't know if you remember this, Lindsay. So when we we had sent out the, we had built the program, we had sent out the invitations, and then a couple of our speakers and one or two of our program committee members literally sent responses and I'm going to edit them because this is a, I'm speaking a family audience, but basically, are you crazy? You know, think about hosting a meeting. This is unethical. This is bad medicine, like a number of very strongly worded statements about hosting a meeting in Miami. At that point, we were still planning to do it. 
And so I think that kicked off a little bit of a scramble from Lindsay and I, and then fortunately with the exec committee to sort of figure out, wait, maybe we really do need to rethink this. But at the time we were still moving ahead and had not even considered transitioning away from a live meeting. So then when we really came to terms with the fact that it was for sure going to be an all virtual meeting, I remember us sitting down and talking like, oh my gosh, these are cardiac ICU people. No one wants to sit in front of their computer for days at a time. Nobody has that kind of attention span. How are we going to offer this content? Um, And we brainstormed whether or not we would offer it in like smaller chunks of time throughout the month of December or just different ways to capture our audience. And then ultimately it just came down to the idea that if we're really gonna hype the meeting and draw in the audience, you know what, we're just gonna offer everything we had planned to offer and we're just gonna offer it all at once and uh, people can come and go as they please and then ultimately go back and watch whichever sessions they missed. But I'll tell you, it was amazing when it all came down to it. Uh, our audience has more of an attention span than we uh, gave them credit for because they are they were in the chairs and they were streaming. Well, I want to give Lindsay actually full credit for that because I was still waffling about going, spreading it out over a couple of months and yada, yada. But I think finally, I think Lindsay just was like, you know what, let's just do this. We're going to do it over three days. Here's the schedule, what it should look like. And let's get this out there. And then once we made that decision, I have to say it actually was really, it just kind of freed us up. Like once that decision had been made to go all live over three days, after that, it became a lot easier. We just had to get over that first hurdle. I have to say, you guys did an amazing job. It was, I mean, very engaging. I love that it was so easy to like, just be able to type questions or discussion right on the spot. I felt like I was at more liberty to engage than in previous years where you have to like work up the courage to get up in front of everybody and stand in line and ask a question at the microphone. So that was, I mean, it was really well done. And I think the piece that we all look forward to and connecting with each other and seeing each other, um, I was really surprised at how you guys were able to still capture the essence of PCICS. And I still came away somewhat feeling like I had seen my friends again and that we could have conversations. And I was, I was personally really nervous about a virtual format and missing out on, you know, all things, the whole dynamic of PCICS, but I thought it was great. And I felt very um, fulfilled from a expectation standpoint. And, you know, Jill, that, that was, that's an important point because, you know, when we had gotten the feedback from prior meetings, the things that people valued the most about the PCICS annual conference was the collaboration, the networking, the legality. And even before the virtual meeting, that was one of the things Lindsay and I were very committed to was finding a way to build in more networking, build in a chance for people to make connections. And, you know, for both of us, you know, one of the things we loved about PCICS was we met all these people we'd only heard about or read about. And how do we foster those relationships? And so that was one of the things we really wanted. I'll have to tell you, and I think, you know, Lindsay was texting me too. We were oftentimes on separate channels and helping to facilitate different, the different green rooms. And the interactions between our speakers and moderators, and they had a separate chat. And oftentimes they were exchanging ideas and talking to each other that the public audience never got to see. And, and, you know, unfortunately won't get a chance to really experience. But it was really fun and you know, great to see like the pack three session I was moderating. These were pack three people who were from all over and they were exchanging ideas about how to manage this and how to do this. And they're like, God, 
wish we could do this in live, but this isn't bad either. So, I mean, we tried to capture, but it was on a much smaller scale, unfortunately. But I do think that that green room gave our panelists the opportunity to really present sort of a, like a unified front on the panel. They were able to like talk through some of the things that they really wanted to get across to the audience. Um, and the questions were coming in throughout the session. And so it helped us to build a panel that really captured what the audience wanted to hear at the end. So, um, you know, they're... Obviously, we all miss being in person, but there ended up being a lot of benefits to this format um, that uh, we wouldn't have otherwise been able to experience. And uh, another one of the benefits was being able to offer this content to uh, our international audience because uh, travel isn't always an opportunity for them. And uh, and so I uh, haven't seen the official statistics come through, but I know that we were able to capture an audience from uh, 30, 40 countries, something along those lines. Um, and so that was a huge benefit. We have so much to learn from uh, one another. And uh, and I agree with Jill. There, uh, one of the things that Nikhil and I were most worried about was being able to capture that networking and collegiality. And so you know, certainly it's not the same as a face-to-face -face conversation, but those networking sessions were really well attended on uh, Thursday morning and an opportunity for people to interact there. And then the poster sessions with the being able to hear the videos of the presenters, like you actually got to experience the way the presenter wanted their poster to be presented and being able to, you know, leave questions and have sort of ongoing interaction with the audience about those posters over the course of the meeting. Those were all benefits that uh, we really enjoyed. And, and the international thing, you know, the the committee, the international committee, and the tech committee were able to foster a pricing structure where it was basically free if you came from certain, you know, low middle income countries. So, you know, people who never be able to fly to Miami or see any of this content could now access this for free or just by a nominal membership fee to joining PCICS. So it's really, I mean, the extension. And, you know, in one of our sessions, we had, they were showing ICUs from all over the world, and it was South Africa, Europe, South America, Asia, and they were showing videos. And then the actual panelists came from those ICUs. And that's, I mean, pretty amazing to think about having a panel demonstrating what an ICU looks like in Indonesia or what it looks like in South Africa or in Argentina. And so, it was pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, I think we all have to applaud you for all the work you did and definitely for the ability to pivot when things were unexpected and changed. And I also just want to echo just from one of the green rooms, the conversation was so robust and obviously we were all busting one another's chops and having a lot of fun. Uh, but actually the conversations that we had in one of those green rooms actually ended up like branching out and I've been in contact with people about a multi-center research project just based on some of those discussions. So it did recreate some of that connection that we have at the PCICS meeting, even though obviously it's really hard to do that from afar. I think one thing that I would ask you, and I, I think this turned out really well, but also in a way it was a little bit of a disappointment, is that obviously whenever you're planning for meetings and um, that you know, the balance of question and answer time. I think some of the Q&A, I think probably speaking to what Sadie uh, 
sort of alluded to was that it was a lot easier to engage and a lot more people who probably would have been more timid or afraid to ask questions and engage in the in-person meeting had Mm -hmm. a lot more opportunity to do that. And I almost felt like every single session we ran at a time and the discussion was just so robust and, you know, part of me wishes that that could go on forever. So my question for you is sort of, how did you approach planning that that Q&A session? Because obviously it's really hard to do that live as well after, um, you know, having people from all over the world speaking. Um, And then how do you think we can leverage this sort of easier access and less threatening environment for question and answer for future meetings? Yeah, that's a great question, David. Um, I think, um, like we mentioned earlier, we were trying to make sure that we uh, did include all of the really great content that our program committee planned into this three-day session. So uh, they were long days and uh, some of the sessions were shortened. Uh, When Nikhil and I were thinking through session length, one of the uh, benefits was that we didn't have to leave time for the speakers to transition on and off the stage because obviously the the next uh, lecture would just happen uh, almost immediately. And so we uh, felt comfortable in decreasing the time of the session thinking that we wouldn't have that hurdle. But you're absolutely right. One of the things we didn't plan for is the volume of questions that would be coming in throughout the session. In person, like you've already mentioned, there may just be a couple of people in the audience who have uh, either are already comfortable or have worked up the courage to speak in front of that group. And so I don't think, at least I'll at least speak for myself, I don't think I was anticipating necessarily that we would run into that for every session. But certainly we have all of those questions captured. Um, and so maybe there is uh, something that we could uh, do to go back and create some sort of a webinar or something um, from that content. And then the other thing that I would mention is that if we uh, moving forward are planning virtual sessions, it will definitely be something that we take into consideration for leaving more time for Q&A. What do you think, Nikhil? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I'll actually follow up what you had talked about to answer David's second question. You know, I think the reality is, and Lindsay and I, and, you know, the IMI and PCICS have been already having conversations about the future of meetings, right? This, we have shown, this is how a meeting is going to look in the future. Now, it may not be all virtual, but it's certainly not going to be all live. When you think about the access we gave to, as we were saying, international members, people from around the country who may not be able to get off service in time, nurses, physicians, fellows, residents, you know, people who may not be able to afford to come to Miami, this was an opportunity for them to still participate, and it works. And so I think the reality is, you know, in 2022, we will have some sort of hybrid model. Now, what that's going to look like, obviously, I think that's going to depend on what the next year or two years looks like. But live speakers, recorded speakers. And so then I think that gets to your your point, David, that it really, and what Sadie was saying also, is that it was easy for people to ask questions. And hopefully if we maintain this hybrid model or we have this virtual component, that'll still be an opportunity for people to do that. And actually, you know, I think working with you guys on the connections committee was really helpful because, you know, you guys posed a question about what do you want to ask about luminaries and you were able to rank those for us and we were able to use those questions. And so being able to partner with the connections committee and using social media and using Twitter or 
Instagram or whatever it is that gets used nowadays to ask these questions is going to be even that much more valuable. And you guys were, I mean, it was awesome. Like, you know, I was, Sadie and I were sharing up, we're in offices close to each other and watching you guys like live stream and posting things out there. I mean, it was, it was kind of fun for someone who's a Luddite to watch these things happening was pretty exciting. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about um, the Anthony Chang and Patty Hickey award winner lectures, because I think those are always a highlight of every meeting. Um, and I think, you know, personally, I really just love seeing someone who I know has been so well accomplished in this field, get up there and talk about their whole career and the highlights, the lowlights, what were the things that they did um, to, to become who they are in this field. Uh, so I'd like to kick off the discussion just talking about that. What did you guys think of um, Ravi and Sandy's talks and what kind of stood out to you? You know, I'll, I'll say the thing that stood out to me the most, and this is, you know, I've worked with Sandy much more and I know Sandy much better than I know Ravi, but I know plenty of people who work with both, is what I think what stands out about both of them is how many people they've mentored and what the mentorship they've received and the mentorship they've given. And if you can see, that was a theme both of them talked about was who's mentored them and who they've mentored in that legacy. And, you know, I think it's just a testament to who they are and to the way the society is, you know, changed from what it was maybe 20 years ago, where mentorship, partnership, you know, bringing up the next generation, supporting your peers, is now valued and is something that's really going to drive our society forward. Uh, and so I know for me personally, that that seeing that is just so powerful. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it was really amazing just to see each of them uh, sort of walk us through their career um, and being who they are, it was not uh, in any way to necessarily highlight their own accomplishments, but just to look back on um, where they've come from and how the field has progressed and thoughts on uh, the future of the field. And certainly they both have played a huge role in uh, the progression of this field over the years. And so it was incredible to see that. And I agree with Nikhil. They have both... Uh, mentored so many people throughout. Um, and uh, I'll focus just for a minute on Sandy's um, slides in which she literally uh, put people's faces on the slides and did, you know, six degrees of separation. And um, what an incredible thing. And we could all do that for our own careers and just think about who we've learned from and who's learning from us. It just helps you put things in perspective. And, you know, I, and I'll, I'll piggyback off that question a little bit, just to, in terms of thinking about the meeting and maybe a little bit about the Wednesday and the Friday part of the, of the conference. And one of the things that I think really struck me as, we, as I was sitting through these sessions was how much the content has changed or how much of the feelings of the conference has changed. And, you know, I can't imagine coming to my first PCICS 10, 15 years ago and watching a, a thing or a session on diversity or building teamwork or relationships between surgeons and intensivists and then going to the Friday session and hearing about burnout, you know, and the consistent themes and how do you support each other and what does it take to succeed? 
and how much people enjoy those sessions. Like, I mean, quite frankly, a lot of the positive feedback I was getting personally was on those sessions. And it's real, I think it's really interesting and it goes to show how our society and I think how our membership has changed. You know, David, you and Catherine and Sarah Tabbitt have all worked quite closely on this workforce development project. So you've seen that. And it really is, I was watching your posters, what you guys had presented, and seeing how our workforce is changing, I think a lot of that was also reflected in how our content and what people are interested in has also changed. I think you're so right, Nikhil. Actually, that was one of the things that stood out to me the most about the conference was the content and just the kind of comprehensiveness of, yeah, we're a physician, yeah, we take care of sick kids, but there's more. You know, like when we go home to our families, when we go back to our communities, when we just take a moment to you know, reflect from the day and cope. How can we do that in a more complete way, in a holistic way, and not just about understanding our patients, but also turning someone in, you know, inward and understanding ourselves and and just how to come as our best self and how to be, you know, I, I thought that was so incredible and um, really well-rounded and really well done. And I really enjoyed it. Yes, and we certainly have so much to thank our speakers for just being willing to put themselves out there and present topics that are somewhat raw and potentially controversial. And uh, I think that it really just drew us all in and uh, caused us to acknowledge and like bring to the forefront things that years ago we really wouldn't have talked about. So speaking of the diversity of the conference and how we really enjoyed it um, to Lindsay and Nikhil, is there anything in particular that stood out to you or that you particularly enjoyed? So I have to say, I, I mentioned this earlier and I'll segue this to probably my, one of my favorite parts of the conference was I think the connections, I, I was really stunned by the amount of connections people were able to make despite being in different parts of the country and in different parts of the internet or the dark internet or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and so that, I thought that was part. And I think I saw that it was fascinating to me. So, you know, I was sitting in the zoom room or the green zoom room for the diversity session that, and the one that was moderated by Dr. Clark and Dr. Naim and, you know, had Dr. Menser and, Dr. Uh, Allen and Dr. Lopez and Dr. Teal. And I think the thing that, first of all, what was fascinating to me was how much they were like playing off each other in the green, in the Zoom room. And how much, about, well, I have this slide, you have this slide, but what about this talk? What about this? And how much of that interaction was? And then how well received that session was. I was really, I mean, kind of proud of our society as a whole that we were able to have a session like that, have it be as raw. And I say, you know, David mentioned how raw it was. I think one of the things that I really respected about the speakers, all four of them, was that they pulled no punches. I mean, they were quite frank about, you know, what an ICU looks like now and what it really look like and what we're doing to our patients and some of the things that we have really missed out as a society, as a culture, you know, through systemic racism and local racism and all these things. And they were calling us out on it in a very respectful way, but they were not pretending. And I think, I know I personally have gotten tired of sort of like people like, you know, just softballing it and low and slow pitching it. And, and it's, I think, it, you know, we're all pretty thick skinned individuals. I think sometimes you just need to call things as they are. 
And they were willing to do that. And what was fascinating to me, so there is a slide, I think we've all seen this, and you know, I think Lindsay knows what I'm gonna be referring to. There was that equity slide where you know there's different ways to portray equality versus equity, and you know, there's different examples of it. There's you know the grabbing things from a tree or standing over a fence to watch a baseball game and whether you raise everybody or you lower the fence versus, and that's equity versus equality. And Kiona and Kay and Kayla were talking about how they each have different variations of that slide. And one of the things we said, you know, there's nothing wrong if we see that slide in every single session or in every single talk. And it's kind of like 20 years ago, how we used to see the PrimaCourse slide in every single talk, right? You would come to PICS and all you'd hear about was PrimaCore. And in every slide or in every talk, Mill Renault and PrimaCore and this. And then 10 years later, it was the SVR trial. And every talk had some slide or quoted something from the SVR trial. I think it would be healthy if now in every session or every talk, we have an equity slide. There's nothing wrong with that. And so I think for me personally, and then the way our society is going, to see this sort of transition from like PrimaCore to SVR, to maybe equity is probably what's the right thing for our patients, our families, and for how we treat each other. So anyway, that was a pretty long-winded answer. I'm sorry, Lindsay, I didn't mean to take up all the gas with that one, but. <laughs> That's okay, I completely agree with you. That was absolutely on my list of favorite sessions. It was just real and it was timely and it was uh, necessary. And so I think that, uh, anyone who was in that session certainly came away with a lot to think about and hopefully um, some intentions for how we can uh, move forward collectively as a society. Uh, I think my other um, take-home uh, favorite portion of the conference, and I've gone back and re-watched both of these sessions a few times since then, is the um, nursing and junior faculty and fellows post-conference sessions. It, um, the way it all worked out at this meeting was incredible. Normally these are pre-conference sessions um, and it happens obviously before the in-person meeting starts. And so a lot of people don't arrive in time for those sessions. Um, these sessions were attended by just as many people as those who attended the full conference. And so it wasn't just, um, you know, junior nurses and APPs, and it wasn't just junior faculty and fellows. It was um, people in those disciplines from ac across the spectrum of their career. And uh, we were really able to learn from one another. And uh, the panel discussions um, were so robust and uh, thought-provoking, um, uplifting, and it was incredible in the nursing panel just to see these people from different uh, parts of their career talk about career development and then career sustainability and to see these you know powerhouses who have been in the field for so long talk about um, burnout and staying strong in both sessions uh, was incredibly powerful. And, um, and the same with the junior faculty and fellows uh, session. I, it was uh, just incredible to see the mentorship um, and the collaboration uh, across uh, that entire session. And uh, I find uh, found them extremely uh, valuable. And, you know, Lindsay, I think I was flipping back and forth between both sessions also. And I think I have to say the thing that impressed me the most, impressed me about both sessions is, and like you said, I mean, these are real leaders, in both fields, you know, 
how open and honest they were. Like, and I don't know if it's just they had reached a point in their career where they feel comfortable talking about when they really screwed up or when someone called them out or when they stood up to a surgeon and told them this or when they stood up to a co-nurse and said this or whatever. And it was really, you know, you have to, I guess, have a certain level of confidence and comfort, but I think it's also models really great behavior too. And so it was, you know, it was applaud, applaudable, um, laudable, sorry, and applaudable. Yeah, I was going to turn the question back on you all and see what your favorite sessions were. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was also flipping back and forth during the um, uh, junior faculty and nursing workshop, but um, I don't know if it was my favorite session, but the biggest takeaway um was Sarah, not even her whole talk, but Sarah Tabbitt's slide that her kids made. Um, I think we all suffer with mom and dad guilt and feel like we're never doing too much or never doing enough at home, but doing too much at work or um, whatever variation of that you might feel. But seeing from her kids' perspective that they understood that that's what she was doing and that's where she was coming from. And she was doing what she needed to do for the kids and took good care of them, but also took good care of them at home. Like I think trying to see it through my kids' eyes, I think that someday they'll maybe have the same appreciation, but it was, it was really heartwarming to see how her kids viewed her and was kind of um, a comfort to know that maybe we're kind of all in the same, same position. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I loved Sarah's talk. Um, I think the talk that kind of blew my mind a little bit um, was the talk about sort of cultural constructs of time and sort of how if you reshape the way that you approach time as a construct, it can actually change your entire outlook on everything, not just clinically at the bedside and interruptions in patient care and all of those kinds of things, but also with your work-life balance and your personal life. It just it made me stop and be like, whoa, like, am I in the matrix a little bit? Because I, it did blow my mind um, that across cultures and across the world, not everybody sees time the way that we do. And not everybody lives in these very rigid constructs. And the ability for us to kind of change ourselves and the way that we view that to make ourselves a little bit more well, um, that really resonated with me. That, that Kairos versus Kronos, I mean, you know, it, it really captures it so succinctly, but that's really, yes, I totally agree, David. Sadie, what about you? Yeah, such an, yeah, it's such an imposition of like a burden time and just to be able to be freed of that a little bit. I have to say it's a little over my head and I need to watch it like three more times and then I need my husband to watch it. <laughs> and then I think it'll it'll change <laughs> our lives a little bit more. But I I mean, my top three were definitely the, the one on humanness and the ICU, the one on um, equity, di diversion and, um, and um, inclusion, and then the whole like junior faculty conference. I mean, I, I can't pick between the three of them. They were all like so candid, so heartwarming, thought provoking, but all with just like the best, I don't know, spirit of intention behind them to just make, to elevate us all and kind of have that shared humanity um, in the things that we do every day. So I, it was just amazing all around. 
Can we talk about goat mouth? Because yeah. that resonated <laughs> on, on social media. Um, and honestly, yes. I, it didn't make sense to me at first. And the fact that people kept talking about goat mouth um, <laughs> what did you guys think about? I had now? to go back. So I was in the, I was facilitating the other channel. And so I heard people talking about goat mouth. And I'm like, what is this goat? Who is this goat mouth person? So I had to go back and it, but it's true, right? Everybody has a goat mouth, you know, someone who says something and it just seems to happen. And yeah, but I, I love that. And the Luke, I mean, that, that's what was fun. It was some, you know, things we can all take home. I mean. Yeah. What is it? Someone who speaks something negative or something like the worst case scenario at being a realist as an intensivist versus the surgeon being like the optimist that everything's going to be all right. Is that, is that kind of the capture of it? <laughs> yeah. Basically. I think that's the gist of it. I agree with you. I had to go back and watch it. Like, wait a minute. What is this concept again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, prepare for the worst, right? So we always tell our trainees, right? The best intensivists always prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And I think it's just that concept, right? The goat mouth that prepares for the worst and hopes for the worst, you know, to some extent, it's supposed to prepares for the worst and hopes for the best. And so, but yeah. Awesome. Well, you guys did a fantastic job. This was a great meeting. Thank you for all your work in the midst of a pandemic, which is stressful enough on top of, you know, figuring out this brand new platform in a very small amount of time um, and making it work and making it work well. Um, so on that topic, um, how how did you guys cope with this in a fun way? Like what has been your pandemic guilty pleasure to get through the last is it nine months now? <laughs> uh, for me, I uh, have to say I took up uh, working out like never before in my life <laughs> when things would get stressful and uh, the walls of my house are closing in on me. I don't do well staying put for long periods of time. I just had to get out and run. And so I ran my first uh, two half marathons during the pandemic and uh, and uh, joined uh Orange Theory Fitness and have just been uh, kind of workout obsessed. I, you know, I, I definitely share Lindsay's. I was have been exercising significantly more. My wife is. But I will say I've also been balancing that with some good vices. So I've been getting my son to bake more. So that's been a positive. I don't know if that counts as my personal thing, but I've been eating more of what I've been forcing, forcing him to do more. And then I will admit my liquor cabinet has, and my skills at behind a bar have grown probably more than they should. When I'm now having to go to Costco to stock up on liquor, it's not necessarily joining more. My wife keeps going, why are you joining another wine club? How many wine clubs do you need to join? She's like, I don't see where all this wine is going. I'm like, that's not a good sign, right? It needs to be. And so I will admit, I probably have some less healthier vices, but I'm trying to balance it with the with the exercise it's okay you run it all off <laughs> there you go exactly so are you a mixologist now <laughs> you know so i yes so i i wasn't before right before i kept it pretty simple but now i've actually reached the point where i'm having to buy like different whiskeys and different tequilas and different scotches and then making my own shrubs at home and i've got a couple different syrups and so you know a cordial and, and so it's you know it's i mean it's honestly it's to some extent, I think all of us like to tinker, right? I mean, that's basically kind of what we do is we're all tinkerers to some extent. And since we can't really tinker as much in the hospital, we have to channel that in another way. And 
you know, Lindsay's probably is a healthier way, but you know, being behind a bar helps me a little bit too. I like to think it helps. Uh, probably just me. <laughs> helps the economy. So, what drink are you going to make us when we all get back together? We'll. I, I've I've been working on an old fashioned. It's a for this time of year. It's a gingerbread old fashioned, and so using like some fresh ginger and a syrup that like a honey based syrup, and then using a couple different bourbons, and so. If we're meeting again in December, even if it's Miami, it's going to be hard to walk away from an old-fashioned or a gingerbread old-fashioned. So one of the things that Nikhil and I had talked about for this virtual meeting was these little video snippets of people doing fun things, uh, displaying their talents that weren't uh, necessarily cardiac ICU talents, but throwing a Frisbee or mixing a drink. So Nikhil, I think you just volunteered yourself for the uh, drink mixing video. You know, I don't mind that because I get to also enjoy my product. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm never one to say no. Uh, Sadie and Jill, what have you guys been doing to keep yourself busy and occupied in the pandemic? I really, I I don't have anything any more exciting. I was going to say something very similar to Nikhil, but um, didn't want to be judged. But I'll just <laughs> jump right on the train with Nikhil. I've been working out a ton but I have been balancing it quite a bit with non-productive calories. Um, mine is beer, which is unfortunately much more additive in calories than Nikhil's liquor and wine, but. Depends on how much. <laughs> Are you brewing your own beer? N- no, uh, but that would have been way cooler. I just that, buy it. That's, that's your holiday gift to yourself. You have to brew at home. This this is the way. So. Yeah, it's not a bad option. That's awesome. My husband brews beers. I'll have to send you some recipes over to your way, Jill. <laughs> yes. I'm a boring old lady, guys. I don't do anything. My pandemic um, guilty pleasure is listening to all these patient conferences and meetings in my pajamas, sometimes in bed. <laughs> so, David, what about you? Um, I am also fairly boring. Uh, we've been working on rewatching all of the Marvel movies. Uh, we're, we're at Doctor Strange now. Um, and then, uh, so I had a dog who passed away two years ago and we had kind of sworn we're never going to get another dog because, uh, you know, it's just a lot of work. But then, uh, we were asked by this organization that we donate to, to emergency foster, this little pug um, and they were like, we need you to do this in two hours because this lady is just going to get rid of the dog. And so we're like, okay, it's just a foster. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of it for a little bit and then give him back. Um, but obviously we failed at that and now it's been five months and he's been part of the family. So that's my but guilty you're pleasure. Not you- sure not the only one with a pandemic puppy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Shelters are apparently empty right now because people have been really adopting. Mm-hmm. So it's great. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us on News yeah. Talk. It was really great to just catch up and reflect on the meeting and also just see your faces. I know that our listeners may not be able to see all our faces, but at least hearing our voices should be good enough. Thanks, David. This was fun. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks, guys. See all of you. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. 
to all our listeners. Thank you for joining us. Please don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts so you can get the latest episodes as they're released. You can visit our website, PCICS.org, to become a member, learn about job opportunities, other resources, or get access to all of the sessions from the meeting that we just discussed. The song I Don't Know by Grapes was using a Creative Commons 3.0 attribute.